Hey everyone, I'm back for a fourth check-in on you all. Hopefully you're all doing well and are thriving and managing quarantine style. So I'm sitting down here uh, on May 13th, whatever day this is. Does it even matter anymore? I don't think so. Um, yeah, just thought I'd run through these things really quick. Not too much to say, really. Just muddling through like all of us. So hope you're doing well. And let's get on to why we're here. So as you know, uh, I'm running through all of the fun questions that I ask our guests at the end of the podcast and turn the tables on to myself. So the original conceit of this podcast was all about the beer that flipped the switch for people. Uh, as a matter of fact, that was the first title for this was Flipping the Switch. The one beer that either stopped a current brewer in their tracks or the one that started the beleaguered journey into the abyss of attempting to create great beer. I can pinpoint the beer and the moment. Uh, many years ago, <laughs> I was a home brewer with less than a handful of batches under my belt when I first passed through Seattle on my way to Alaska in 1994. I had an inkling of what a good beer was, but looking back, most were mediocre at best. Texas was woefully behind the craft beer curve in those days, and Shiner Bach was a about as exotic as a good local beer got. I was familiar with Sam Smith's Winter Warmer, uh, Mendocino Brewing, uh, I Have a Hawk, I think it was, uh, and an upstart new to the Austin area called Celis. But probably right around this time of year, in 1994, my buddy Bob took me down to the Pike Place Brewery to try the 5X Stout. Not the pub up on first, foreshadowing, but the old place down on Western. Uh, we talked our way in and my mind was blown wide open. The brewery itself, the brewers we spoke with, and the beer. I, I'd never had anything like it. Rich, robust, and just perfect. It remains a favorite to this day. And more than just opening my mind to what a great beer could be, that day changed the trajectory of my life. I continued on to Alaska and Denali Park, where I worked and lived for that summer. I spent a lot of money having ingredients shipped up from Anchorage and brewed pretty much every week, carrying heavy buckets of beer a fair distance from the mess hall kitchen to my cabin. I had to know everything. An impossible task, sure, that's just how I am, Virgo, but that's just me. I became a student of beer. So flash forward to 1996, I moved to Seattle to get into brewing and again, talked my way into Bike Place, now in the process of opening up the pub that we all know in the market. I was one of the original hires that opened the pub, but quickly got my fingers into the homebrew shop, uh, which was Liberty Malt Supply, and of course, the brewery that inspired my move to begin with. And there were some of the people that I'd met a couple years before and more that would become good friends and mentors. Quite the cast, really. Fal Allen, of course, who's now at Anderson Valley and the author of some great brewing books. Jeff Demon, who moved back home to Kansas to helm Free State Brewing. Bill Jenkins, who moved on to Big Time, Elliot Bay, Ram, and others. Kevin Forehan, who also went to Big Time, Ram, and is now at Flying Bike in Greenwood. 
Drew Cluley, who I also worked with at Pyramid and is now the head brewer at Beardsley Brewing in Bothell. Try saying that five times quickly. Janelle Pritchard, who last I heard was at Snoqualmie Falls, although honestly, I've kind of lost track of her. And of course, someone most of you listening will probably remember from Boundary Bay, Skip Matson, who I'm pretty sure was the original guy that we spoke with on that fateful day, although neither of us can remember for certain. And this is all under the helm, of course, of two of the people that are arguably responsible for quality beer awareness in the U.S., Charles and Roseanne Finkel. It was an exciting time as craft brewing was really just starting to take hold and assert itself as being in for the long haul. A mere two years later, I moved to Bellingham to brew at Boundary Bay, helped get Skip up here a couple years later, and then dropped out, <laughs> keeping my toes in the brewing and beer scene in other ways, including this podcast. So, all right, that's my story. Be sure and go on to the Facebook page and uh, and let us know about um, what your beer was that flipped the switch for you. Um, I'm always curious as to what that was because everybody remembers all of those things in different ways. So always curious about it. Again, uh, Tap 10 Beercast Facebook page. All right. Let's get on to the meat and potatoes of this here, baby. Tips, tricks, recipes, techniques, ingredients, all of it. Any questions or advice you have, bring it. So last week, we followed up on the previous week's talk about pH with a talk about brewing salts and what they do. And today, I want to follow up with that on the eh, final installment of this portion of it, I guess, and, uh, and talk about what each of the independent ions is and why each is important to making your best beer. So gypsum, of course, is the big one. Calcium sulfate. Calcium is the primary ion. It helps with lowering the pH during mashing, facilitates precipitations of proteins in the boil, or what we call hot break. Uh, it enhances yeast flocculation so that you get a clear beer, stabilizes alpha amylase, extracts bittering compounds from hops, decreases the extraction of tannins, and assists in preventing beer stone. You want it. Some lagers are made with very low levels of calcium, so it's not technically required, but it's super helpful. And using it in the amounts of 50 to 100 parts per million will undoubtedly improve your beer. Sulfate, the other part of gypsum. This is the ion that's used uh, to accentuate hop bitterness by enhancing the dryness of the finish, but it also gives a fullness to the beer. Usually it's only used in small amounts in lagers, as I kind of mentioned before, uh, 30 parts per million or less, but that's not always the case. I put, um, I, I use gypsum in every beer that I make, especially with our water. Um, in most ales, the ideal amount is 30 to 70 parts per million. Uh, for highly hopped beers, the desired sulfate level might be higher, like 150 to 300 parts per million for like an IPA or a West Coast American Pale Ale. Um, that amount makes the finish seem more crisp and dry. And if you're using um, 150 parts per million or higher, the chloride level should be under 50 parts per million to avoid a minerally finish to the beer. So sulfate, again, is very useful because it really kind of makes 
IPAs especially kind of pop. You know, it gives it that it's like a good mix in a in a record. Um, it it really makes each individual part of the beer shine. Good separation of flavors. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Anyway, moving on. Calcium chloride. Um, this is one that I use quite a bit. Um, we already talked about calcium, but what chloride does is um, it kind of accentuates that roundness, full flavor, um, and enhances the malt sweetness as well. Um, also helps as a stabilizer and for clarity. It's generally used in the 40 to 100 parts per million range for most beers, but with the hazy IPAs and the New England IPA styles, uh, the chloride's kind of through the roof, like usually over 100 parts per million up to 150 parts per million. Um, it helps accentuate the bitterness as well, but too much can make things kind of start to taste salty without actually having any salt in there. Uh, moving on. Magnesium sulfate, or just Epsom salt. Magnesium uh, is very important as a yeast nutrient, and it helps with the fullness and the mouthfeel as well, but can provide kind of a sour, bitter flavor to the beer uh, if it's more than like 30 parts per million. Uh, it can have a laxative effect in larger amounts, so more is not better. Malt gives all of the magnesium that's required for yeast health, so it's not really required as an addition unless you need to add sulfate um, in a beer that already has a high calcium level. Uh, baking soda, sodium bicarbonate. Uh, sodium, just like in, in food, sodium can really round things out, uh, rounds out all the malt flavors and um, used in small amounts, like well under 150 parts per million, um, it, it can have some benefit, especially to darker beers, uh, in the same way that you might add a little pinch of salt to coffee, which is something you might want to try. Um, a higher concentration obviously makes the beer taste salty, and having a high sodium combined with a high sulfate level can create very, very harsh bitterness. Um, so zero to 60 parts per million is a safe bet, but uh, using brewing water sourced from a water softener, which can add some sodium to it, uh, should be avoided because that it just kind of wreaks havoc with the water and everything doesn't play well together. Bicarbonate plays a huge role in water chemistry. Um, it raises the pH of the mash, so it should be kept under 50 parts per million for pale or lighter beers. Um, an amber-colored beer could use a bicarbonate amount up to like 150 parts per million, depending on the grain bill. And a very dark beer with roasted grains, like a stout, could easily go up to 200 parts per million or even a bit more, as more bicarbonate is needed to balance the acidity of those dark roasted malts. So as such, there's no ideal range for mashing water except that what is needed to achieve an appropriate mash pH. In sparge water, low bicarbonate water is desired to avoid the tannin extraction from the grain. I brew a fair amount of Kolsch and of red and found to be true that bumping the bicarbonate level up and then neutralizing it with an acid gives it a slight bite that is one of the hallmarks of the style. So see what you think about that if you are so inclined. Chalk, um, calcium carbonate, 
some people use it to raise the mash pH, but it doesn't dissolve well without, um, it just doesn't dissolve well and it can, should just be avoided <laughs> really. Um, in the rare cases where the mash pH actually needs to be raised, especially with water from our, uh, our area here in the Pacific Northwest, just use baking soda. Yeah. So, all right. Like I said last week, you'll use some or all of these in a brew, depending on multiple variables. Special thanks to the John Palmer's How to Brew website, uh, which is where I got pretty much all of that information on those things. No, I didn't just rattle it off the top of my head. Um, all of the information is generally the same and it's available in a lot of places, but that was just an easy place where I could just get everything that I needed off of one thing. So yeah, there you have it. But using a free water calculator, such as Brunewater, Brewer's Friend, or John Palmer even has a spreadsheet, Beersmith, Brewfather, blah, blah, blah. They make it easy to input your grain bill and your water report and get all of the amounts that you need. I mentioned that last week. Again, I use Brunewater and Brewfather. I use them together and kind of blend the two together because each calculator is going to give you a slightly different um, a different number and a little bit makes makes a big difference. You know, half of a gram even can make a big difference in what your pH level is. And we all know how important that is, right? So what do you take from all this? Well, it depends on what your predilection to rabbit holes is. <laughs> you can read volumes and literally get degrees in this kind of stuff. But here's the Cliff Notes version. Make sure you're starting with good water. Filter tap water, or at least tap water left out for a couple days to dechlorinate. As mentioned last time, you could start with RO water and build up your salts to your desired level, to, to your desired level from zero. Do what you want. I filter my water. Um, a table two or gypsum is always good. It's pretty much just a no-brainer. Should go into every every beer, regardless of what you're making. Baking soda is useful to raise mashes that are too low, which can happen for darker beer. Um, balance those calcium levels with the gypsum and be careful not to overdo it. Don't use chalk. Adding acidulated malt to your mashes in the 1% to 3% range of your grist, which is your malt bill or your recipe, um, works well for this. Using lactic or phosphoric acid to tweak your wort is handy to have too, and remember that a little goes a long way. I use calcium chloride quite a bit, but those are the three big ones that you should have on hand and use regularly. Play around with these, do some quick reading, or re-listening to the last two minisodes, and watch your beer transform and blossom into what you intended for it to be instead of just hoping that it turns out as well as you want it to. Okay, this was a quick one. A um, lot of information, but uh, yeah, hopefully it was enjoyable. Uh, don't forget that uh, the Facebook page exists. Tapped in BeerCast. Um, what's the best beer name that you've ever given? I'm always fascinated and kind of jealous of people that come up with these amazing beer names I'm like oh, why didn't i think of that kind of thing so what are some of yours i'm interested and if you have pictures of the labels if you make labels uh definitely post them um, i'll share some of mine that uh that i've 
either been proud of or uh, quietly make me giggle next week. Uh, but I don't really have a topic for next week yet. One thing that I'm thinking of doing is trying to connect with some people on Zoom and uh, and get some thoughts on what's going on right now, uh, right now being mid-May of 2020. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let me know what you want to hear, uh, as always. I'm still on Instagrams. You can reach me at dave at tattrail.com, Facebook page, which I've mentioned probably for the hundredth time now. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be about beer. There aren't any rules these days. Whatever you want, whatever you want to talk about, any questions, any comments, blah, blah, blah. I'll try and remember and post some pics of what I've got going on right now. Uh, I'm just brewing a whole bunch in this time of quarantining. Um, really more than I have room for. Uh, you might even be able to hear um, a batch bubbling behind me, literally. So I'm, I'm having to stash it everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. That's, uh, that's about it. Hit me up with any questions or additions you have to all of today's info on the Facebook page. It is a conversation at all, after all, not a lecture. Um, I might even be thinking of getting into the Twitterverse. I'm still on the fence about that. You know, it's just because of my deep, deep love for all things social media, of course. Um, but don't forget to rate us and give us all the stars on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, blah, 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 wherever you get all your rambling content. And hey, if you take the time to review us, make sure I know and I'll read your review during these mini episodes. All right. I will talk to you later. Be safe. Be aware. Don't forget that the vast majority of politicians are not scientists and that many don't even listen to said scientists. Remember that scientists will be the one to solve this problem and that even though it is becoming tiresome, we all still need to do the right thing until the actual dangers are eliminated, not the perceived ones. All right. Right. Cheers. Cheers.